I've defined spiritual formation in this way in this series. It is the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus for the glory of God and our good and for the blessing of others. It is dependent on the Spirit of God and the Word of God at work in our lives. And we've been considering spiritual formation by focusing specifically on some characteristics from the life of Jesus. One of the most important things about being able to reach any goal that we set initially is to have the end in mind from the beginning. In other words, to know where we're going and what it is that we're trying to accomplish. In our spiritual lives, Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the preferred vision. The theme of this series has been Romans 8 and verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Being conformed is translated from a word which means to receive the same form as, or to render like. It's an ongoing process, and it's something that happens to us as a result of something else. God's plan for your life and for mine is that we would grow in conformity to the image of Jesus. Our text in the Bible today is Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 16. In a message entitled, Pay Attention to How You Walk. Now, just by way of background, before I read this focal passage and a rather lengthy passage, I want to remind you of what I believe the theme is in the letter to the church at Ephesus overall. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10, it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. By the time we come to chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians, we find standards of living that are very practical to be able to apply to our lives. How are we supposed to live once we've come to faith in Jesus? Who are we in Christ? These standards define the fruit of the gospel that should be produced in our lives as genuine believers that will ultimately bring glory to God. The goal is not simply to profess faith in Jesus. The goal is to follow after Jesus by grace through faith. So we begin reading here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, and this is what the Bible says. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty arguments, 
for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now verse 15. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. I want to ask and answer this question as we move forward in the message. How can you pay attention to how you walk? I want to suggest three ways. First, you can pay attention to how you walk if you know who you are. Look again in verse 8. It says you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. We find these themes of light and darkness uh, displayed prominently throughout the Bible. Light equals holiness. Darkness equals evil. Hell is described as a place of outer darkness. And this theme of light and the theme of darkness are unfolded throughout the scripture. And we begin at the point of creation. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that the earth was formless and empty and that darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. Now understand, darkness at that point was not representing wickedness yet but it was representing the void that existed in the world and that the Spirit of God was hovering above the surface of the waters. But then God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the Psalms, light and darkness are used symbolically to differentiate between salvation and lostness, righteousness and evil, truth and error, and are also used to represent God's splendor and his presence among his people. Light is clearly on display in the person of Christ. John chapter 1 says, beginning in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Verse 5, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. John 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again, and he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12 and verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Now, before we come to know and follow Jesus, Paul specifically states here in Ephesians 5 that we were once darkness. But we were. It's no longer the case for believers. We were blinded to the truth. We were in bondage to our sins. 
We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. But when we come to know and follow Jesus, we are now light in the Lord. So conversion does not just bring about reformation in our lives. It brings about transformation. When we are in Christ, when we are in the light, that is a positional statement about who we are. And the change that a person goes through when they become a follower of Jesus is the most profound change possible. And then we're called to walk in the light. That means to live like you have been born again. It means that as a saved person, you should live as a purified child of God because of who you are. Walking represents progress. It represents not standing still, but it means that we are moving forward. We are growing in the likeness of Jesus. So if you want to pay attention to how you walk, you've got to know who you are. And then second, you can pay attention to who you are if you know what pleases the Lord. Look now at verse 9. The scripture says, For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10 says, Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, to test what pleases the Lord is the idea of examining it or proving it by the way that you live. Thankfully, we're not left to wonder what light is like. God doesn't leave us in the dark uh, to try to find out on our own what pleases God. He tells us in his word, and then he guides us by his spirit. This kind of life is developed through an ongoing process of a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, leading up to these verses, we're given the contrast between the deeds of darkness and the fruit of light in the scripture. The deeds of darkness are outlined, at least representatively. Certainly, this is not a comprehensive list of every sin that could possibly be. But the deeds of darkness are outlined in verses 3 through 6. You'll see that there's sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscene or foolish talking, crude joking, idolatry, and so on. And make no mistake about it, those who practice such things as the pattern of their lives do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is a very sobering passage because it reminds us that while salvation is by grace through faith, the salvation that we possess is going to produce fruit. If the fruit is missing and our lives look just like the world and we're wrapped up in all of these sins as the pattern of our lives, then we're not bearing testimony that we have in fact been born again and changed by the power of God. The contrast to this is that there is the fruit of light. He references goodness. What's goodness? It's it's wholesome living. It's things that are morally excellent. And then he speaks of righteousness, right living that is based on the character of God. And then truth. 
Truth is genuineness. It's the truth of God's character, and it's the truth of God's word, and it's that which corresponds to reality. So he tells us here, be imitators of God. This has been our entire theme in the series, Conform to the Image of Jesus, is that we want to be imitators of God, that we want to mimic Jesus with our lives. And when we mimic Jesus and imitate God with our lives, then there will be evidence that we have life with God. 1 John 1 and verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and in Him there is absolutely no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. You can pay attention to who you are if you know what pleases the Lord. Third, you can pay attention to who you are if you know how to expose the darkness. Verse 11 says, Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Don't be a participant in the things that dishonor God Rather, expose those things, and the way that you do that is by proclaiming the truth about Jesus and about living your life to honor God. Now, to expose the darkness or reprove it means to bring it to light. This is the same word that is used of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. Think about it this way. Light exposes darkness and condemns it. On the other hand, darkness conceals sin and promotes it. I think there is both a passive aspect of this and an active aspect of it. Here's what I mean by that. The passive aspect of it is, do not participate in these things. Don't partake of them. Stay away from these things that are dishonoring to God that tempt you to sin, that bring reproach on your testimony, that draw you into things that you know are unhelpful and unholy for your life. Now, the active aspect of it is that we are to confront sin. Love that does not oppose sin is not biblical love. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6 says, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. But I want to warn you here, if you live your life in such a way that the light exposes the darkness and condemns it, it may bring difficulty upon you. I think about the account of John the Baptist as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. You remember John the Baptist reproved King Herod for stealing Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evil deeds that Herod had done. Herod Antipas had ruled for 43 years over Galilee and Perea, regions where the John the Baptist ministered. Antipas uh, possessed all of the vices of his terrible father, Herod the Great, 
and he was greedy and self-indulgent and crafty. And uh, Philip was the best of the sons of Herod the Great. If you want to pick one from the best of a bad lot, Philip at one time would have been the sole heir of his father's domains, uh, but apparently the old tyrant changed his mind, leaving Philip wealthy but without position or power. And Philip's wife didn't like that. So Herod Antipas came to visit his half-brother Philip in Jerusalem. And at once, Herodias saw her chance and she began a sordid affair with Antipas. They agreed when he came back from Rome that he would get rid of his wife and marry Herodias. And an adulterous marriage followed, but Herodias became his curse and his ruin. In comes John the Baptist. And John the Baptist denounced Herod Antipas. Now, safety would have dictated silence. But he reproved Herod for stealing his brother's wife and accused him of breaking God's law. And what did John the Baptist get for his stand for truth and righteousness? He earned the hatred of Herodias, who months later brought about his death. His head was delivered on a platter. It can be costly, friends, to stand for the truth. But it is necessary to stand for the truth if we're going to be obedient and faithful to the Word of God. Light has the effect of revealing. And sometimes churches turn the lights down on sin, so to speak, because they don't want to offend. They don't want to push people back. And what can result from that is a man-centered theology rather than a God-centered theology. And the glory of God can be exchanged and replaced with the comfort of people. Some of you might remember the name Robert Schuller. He was uh, the proponent of positive thinking following on the heels of Norman Vincent Peale. Uh, Robert Schuller. Uh, of the Crystal Cathedral fame in California. Uh, he's gone on now. He's dead. But he wrote a piece entitled Self-Esteem, the New Reformation. And here's what he wrote in part. He said, Classical theology has erred in its insistence that theology be God-centered and not man-centered. He said, The deepest need of human beings is self-esteem. Once a person believes he is an unworthy sinner, it is doubtful if he can honestly accept the saving grace that God offers in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about that statement just for a moment. And now I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Robert Schuller turned theology on his head because the focal point of theology the defining point of theology, the foundation of theology, is always God. It's His character that shapes the whole thing. His character is communicated through His Word and ultimately through His Son. And as we think about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus, part of being conformed to the image of Jesus is knowing how to expose the darkness 
And we've got to recognize it for what it is in our own lives. We've got to be humble and repentant in our own sinfulness. And we've got to live in a way that shines the light into the darkness so that people could see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and be saved and then live lives that are transformed. Church, Jesus calls us to live as the light of the world. And when you live as the light of the world, it is so that other people can find the light of Jesus. Now, as I come toward a close of this message, I want to draw your attention again to verse 14. Verse 14 says, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, I think this is likely that this was an early church hymn. It's based on, in reference to, Isaiah 60 and verse 1, which is an invitation for unbelievers to see and believe in the Messiah. And it's basically a clarion call. It's a wake-up call. Get up, sleeper. Now's not the time to be wasting the time that you have. Now's not the time to be resting in the moment. Now's not the time to be toying with darkness. Now is the time to get up, rise up in the power of the resurrected Christ, and Christ himself will shine on you. And you can live in a way that your life glorifies him. So here's the invitation. First of all, it's come to the light and be saved. Come to the saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you've already been saved, you ought to live like it. We ought to be a transformed, set-apart, God-glorifying people, and that ought to be the testimony of our church and our common life together in Christ. Know who you are. Know what pleases the Lord. Know how to expose the darkness and Christ will shine on you. Before I pray, I close with with this. A saint many centuries ago wrote this, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, let me learn the paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess everything, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley, and thy life in my death. Here in just a moment, Pastor Eric is going to come and lead you in a closing song. And I want you to think about this passage of Scripture and the message that has been preached. 
And if there are decisions that need to be made or steps of faith that need to be taken, after I pray and then we sing and close out the service, Pastor Eric will be at the front and he'll be there to receive you. And he'd be honored to pray for you or answer any questions you might have or help you take that step of faith and obedience in Christ. So you come after we pray and then Pastor Eric leads us in singing. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you that you've not left us in the darkness, but you have brought us into the light through your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that we have eternal hope because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I pray that these messages that we've shared in and these passages that we've read together and studied on what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus, that these things would come continually to our hearts and our minds because we want to be like Jesus. We want to honor King Jesus and all that we say and all that we do and in the direction that we go in in the future. And I pray that that would be the characteristic of our church and of our common work together in the mission. And I pray that when we are faithful and when there is evident fruit from the gospel, that there will be many who would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because of our testimony and because of our lives. And God, that you would use us to bring glory to your great name. So I pray that you would encourage your people as we close out our time together. And as we stand to sing, Lord, uh, may you be honored in our lives. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with us as we sing our closing song and Pastor Eric concludes our service together.